Hello everyone, and welcome to the File Room Podcast, a podcast about the X-Files. That is also a desperate attempt to reconnect a friendship across the Atlantic. I'm Edwin Davis. And I'm Michaela Livingston-Banks. If you're new to the X-Files or watching it for the tenth time, watch along with us while we explore the dark corners of the American psyche. Via a TV show from the 90s. So, Mika, how's how's things? Things are just grand. I'm now not drafty uh, because got new windows. Should say that very quickly. <laughs> I'm not drafty. The house is no longer drafty. Did some hardcore adulting this week. New windows. Um, but yeah, it's been a pretty it's been a pretty chill week actually. I did um, I did some good citizenship and gave blood. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, uh, which all went fine and good and well, which is good. Um, and yeah, went for a nice walk today. Saw the Rollington Stones. They're like the Rolling Stones, but like older, much older, mm-hmm. if you can believe okay. it. And uh, more rocky, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'm now picturing like 100-year-old people. Like really rocking out, and um, that's why is that's why I hope it is. Um, I mean, these rocks are like six thousand years old. Uh, they all, okay. they all. How's your week been? Yeah, it's good. I I did the exact opposite of anything remotely adult, which was that I did something that I have not done since the early nineties, which oh. was I watched a professional wrestling match event oh, wow. on television for the first is- time since the early nineties. Is this because WWE Raw's moved on to like Netflix or something? No, that is going to happen. That's oh, okay. that's going to happen fairly soon. Yeah. Um, it was it was partly inspired by this. Ba- basically, little tiny bit of backstory. I'll, I'll try and rush through it. So I was really into wrestling when I was a very young kid. I loved Hulk Hogan and I loved watching the WWE on Sky One. Mm. Um, I I want to say it used to be on Sundays, maybe. Yeah. Used to air. After I stopped the going to church to watch wrestling. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I stopped watching after Hulk Hogan lost to Yokozuma. Uh, that was very traumatic for me as a six or seven year old. Um, and I, but I still kind of kept up with wrestling throughout the nineties because it was the Attitude Era, and all my friends were like really into Stone Cold Steve Austin. And also, it was like a really good time for wrestling video games. So whenever mm. I would go around to people's houses for birthday parties, think in, in era, of, <clears throat> inevitably they would break out the game and just be like, hey, let's play, you know, No Mercy or whatever. Um, but I kind of stopped paying attention to that sort of in the mid-2000s. And then in recent years, a bunch of podcasts I listen to have people on who are really into wrestling, so they bring it up. So I have kind of like ambiently been following along with like wrestling plot lines just because people talk about it when I want them to be discussing something else. Um, <laughs> but because these people are entertaining and charismatic, I'm like, okay, I'll put up with it. I'll put up with them talking about wrestling. Um, and then... In this past week, you know, there were two big stories about the WWE, which were, one, that they signed a $5 billion deal with Netflix. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, or most of their big events are going to be on Netflix going forward. Outside of the US, I think it's still going to be split a little bit within the US. Um, and the other thing was that a bunch of allegations came out about Vince, Vince McMahon, and he resigned from the company because he is a, a, allegedly 
a deeply horrible person. I um, am not surprised about that at all. I, I yeah. realize a lot with wrestling, a lot of it is just like on screen persona, whatever else. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> my, my very much memory um, from watching in the 90s was that he was a deeply unpleasant man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was not so much an act as no. as him just playing himself on screen. Yeah, uh, and then that was all tying up with the Royal Rumble, which you know is obviously like the, one of the big events every year. That and WrestleMania. So I thought, you know what, I'll watch that, and I had a very pleasant time. It was a lot of fun. Um, I thought, in particular, the Women's Rumble was a lot of fun. Lots of really dynamic performers, um, particularly the sort of Japanese wrestlers that have become more and more a big part of American wrestling in the last few decades. Uh, yeah, so I had a great time. I don't think I will kind of like keep up with following wrestling all that often because mm. those things are so long and there are so many shows every week. Yeah. But um, it it was nice to kind of like tune in and think, oh yeah, like I remember why. I love this so much as a kid and yeah. so much of it is still there. And like now as an adult who's like read books about wrestling and things like that, I now understand like um, the, how interesting it is that you have, you know, something where these people are genuinely like in great shape athletes mm -hmm. who are before essentially putting on a show for people. So like the, the thin line between reality and fiction that they're playing with i do find like really fascinating now that i understand it slightly better than as a kid just being like hulk hogan's my hero and he lost <laughs> I, i'm never gonna watch wrestling again uh, but yes that's that was cute fun. that is yeah. cute it's like childhood catching up with with adulthood yeah. i might i might watch a bit of it on netflix if i can just to relive that kind of um childish love uh because I, I genuinely haven't watched it since I was like, I don't know, 15 or 16, maybe. Mm. Yeah, it's it. from what I understand from people who know about wrestling more than me, it's quite good these days. Particularly, there's some good personalities in there. There's some good mm. stories, particularly all around CM Punk, who was a wrestler who was with the WWE. He left under very acrimonious terms 10 years ago joined AEW, which was a rival promotion, and left mm. there under very acrimonious terms like about six months ago <laughs> and is now back in WWE. And they're really taking advantage of the fact that he is apparently very unpopular in the locker room to kind of like really kind of like use that to fuel the matches. And it's it's quite yeah. compelling. Drama. Gotta love it. Yeah. Uh, but enough about wrestling in the 90s. Uh, oh. Let's talk about something else from the 90s. The X-Files which is, of course, the show that we talk about on this podcast. Um, so this week we're going to be talking about the episode Ghost in the Machine, a uh, quick plot synopsis. In the cold open, we are introduced to Brad Wilczek and Benjamin Drake, who are two executives at a company called Eurisco, which is a tech company involved in developing uh, software. Uh, they are having a disagreement. Afterwards, the technology in Drake's office starts malfunctioning and results in his death. Uh, Mulder and Scully are brought in by Mulder's ex-partner Jerry to investigate because the circumstances of the death are very mysterious and they're not sure how it could have been caused. Uh, they quickly determined that it was because of seemingly malfunctioning AI controlling the uh, building, the Eurisco office, and they start to believe that uh, Brad Wolchek was behind it because he obviously was the one who programmed the AI. Uh, they start investigating. They come to believe that, again, they come to believe that 
Wilczek was behind it all, but uh, eventually they discover that the AI itself was responsible for the death. The AI in the building has become sentient and killed Drake because he the the AI had started to view it as being a threat to him or it they, well, however you want to refer to uh, the AI. Um, Mulder and Scully decide that they need to shut down the AI because uh, after consulting with Deep Throat, Mulder believes that the AI is of interest to the Department of Defense and that if they were to get hold of it, it could be quite detrimental to the world. They get a virus from Wilczek, which will wipe the memory. They break into the office, discover that the head of security at the office works for DOD, who then tries to stop them, but they successfully delete the AI uh, and Wilczek goes to prison for the two murders, but kind of seemingly quite content in the knowledge that he has prevented his work from getting out into the world and then in the final scene of the episode it is hinted that perhaps the ai is not totally dead um so yeah so that's the episode in a in a nutshell Mm -hmm. uh michaela what did you think of ghost in the machine and not ghost in the shell as i keep wanting to call it (laughs) well as I said at the end of last week's episode, I was super excited for this one um, mm. because I remember it being really exciting and I'm generally very interested in technology and for the last few years now, partly for work, but partly also just because I'm interested in technology, you know, I've been following developments around AI and stuff. So all around, I was like, this has got to be really amazing. But my God, was it dull. I I just found myself being really disappointed by it, sadly. So I think um, I really enjoyed Rob LaBelle as Brad Wilczek as, you know, like a scruffy, Mm -hmm. um, you know, tech guy. Um, And there are a few nice shots of Scully in the air ducts. They look nice. Um, And there are a few moments maybe... Um, throughout the episode which which are nice but overall it's just it's just like this really poor quality facsimile of you know 2001 space odyssey Mm. with none of the suspense none of the interest uh, you know just dull deeply dull was my takeaway and I, mm. you know, I usually watch these episodes twice and I really, it took a lot for me to want to watch this one a second <laughs> time. I found it that dull. I did. I did. I did manage to watch it a second time. Um, yeah, there's quite, there, I guess there's quite a lot to say why I found it really disappointing. But how did you find it? Did you enjoy it? Uh, I, I think I liked it a little better than you. I, I did I, I didn't find it like that exciting. I did mm. I, I did find it quite fun in the way that I find like any story like trying to depict AI in the distant past mm. yeah, to us, obviously like you know like thirty years in the past. Yeah. Um, to be fascinating because often the specifics will be wrong, but like maybe some of the um, broader concerns of like how technology will develop turn out to be true. I, I think there is stuff stuff to be found here about like um, smart homes and things like that, which you know kind of feel um, pretty accurate in terms of how that technology would develop. Mm. Um, and it did make me go and watch the nineteen seventy 
eight or nine film the demon seed which is also a movie about like killer ai which is way more fucked up than this <laughs> yeah, uh, it's ma- mainly about a computer wanting to impregnate a woman oh my gosh um it's very it's a very very good movie but it is quite quite unpleasant so fair warning oh but it's oh a similar similar idea to this that i, I decided to watch because i thought oh, i wonder if this was an influence uh and i couldn't see any proof that it was an influence in this episode i think they're both just pulling from 2001 in like yeah. major ways well um, i i did consider after i watched this and i was just like well that was disappointing i did kind of consider is it disappointing because we've been really blessed with just really great sci-fi around ai in the last mm. 30 years um and you know there are really amazing black mirror episodes that touch on a lot of these and yeah but and I, you know discussing this with john as well like that like ai in sci-fi has been a really big thing for like a long time since like you know you know proper classic sci-fi asimov like there's a lot of material out there mm, yeah. so and i and look looking around some of the reviews and stuff of the time it seems that even even in 1993 this wasn't a particularly interesting episode in terms of how it's and how it dealt with the subject so yeah I don't think it's entirely just because, because because you know it's kind of fun to see the kind of janky depictions of like smart computers and technology and stuff like that. I don't mm. think that's my problem with it. I think my main problem might be the pacing of it and how little it kind of delved into the potential kind of questions and t- touched a tiny little bit in terms of you know um the power of technology to to be destructive and things like that but yeah or or what i think it it lacks in terms of when we talk about other stories about ai um like if you know the demon seed the ai in that is like a very well-formed character that Mm -hmm. has very clear aims of what it wants to do yeah similar uh in 2001 a space odyssey hal feels like a fairly well-formed character yes. and you know there is something tragic to him that he kills because he can't synthesize two opposing commands that he's been given which is to protect the mission and to protect and and to protect the people on the mission so he ends up killing them because he can't reconcile those two yeah. things uh, and this one the ai doesn't really have much of a personality it is really more of a threat i think what's interesting about this episode and this is also true of the demon seed is that what it it, structurally it's basically a haunted house story but instead of a ghost it's ai and i Mm -hmm. do find that quite interesting because it's you know you're taking a very well established kind of storytelling and then trying to update it for the modern day and i think on that level it, it it mostly works like the ways in which they think yeah, okay if, if everything in this building is automated and the thing that's controlling it wants to kill you you know how are you going to fight it i think you know it kind of comes up with some fun stuff for that um yeah but again the ai is not that compelling no. the character is just an antagonist yeah. and the closest you get to it is at the end when they're putting the virus in and it starts asking why and it's it's yeah. basically doing the daisy daisy thing from 2001 <laughs> but it's not 
as tragic as no. you would really want it to be. Like you I want really to in that cold. moment. Yeah, I felt you really want cold to think by it because, like, I could hear it was saying, "Why, Brad? Why are you doing mm. this?" Yeah, um, I did mishear the last, the very last "why" as "bye," which was quite <laughs> funny. Um, what are you doing, Brad? Don't do this, Brad. Bad command or file name. Sector seven, not file home. Body error, standard time. Seven thirty-five, not file. But yeah, like despite that, and maybe it's because there wasn't enough enough of you know, this COS system doing it. That's probably just repeating system twice. The COS <laughs> machine, you know, doing its thing and getting to interact with characters very much other than like, you know, like the kind of haunted house booby trap kind of scenarios. Um, but I just felt so cold. E- yeah. Even even whilst it was apparently pleading for its life, I was just like, get on with it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think that also... We talked in like the last the last couple of episodes how one of Mulder's defining traits is he's quite empathetic about yes. the strange things he inquire, encounters. So it is strange in this one way. He's like immediately, oh, we have to kill it. We and must like, he, kill it. He has no compunction about the fact that oh, this thing is sentient, and as you know, the fact that it's asking why and the fact that it's kind of pleading for its life at the end indicates that it has some kind of you know quote-unquote soul or whatever you know yeah uh that he is straight up just like no we have to kill it um it does feel like everything in the episode is really simplistic in yeah. a way that is yeah like you know it's, it's kind of disappointing considering the topics that it's grappling with and how those ideas have been explored more fully in other tv shows films books you know even in just like recent years if you look at something like ex machina which obviously is i think one of the the big movies in recent years about ai and the question of sentience and you know how they interact with humans um yeah yeah, there's just not as much thought put into this i think no no and i agree that wasn't it wasn't particularly consistent with Mulder's character I picked up on that too um I mean at least at least it felt consistent in terms of fitting in with the X-Files because I mean it wasn't like the government were conspiring to create this thing Mm. but but there was like an element of government involvement in trying to get this thing for what we can only assume is nefarious purposes so um, I suppose we could give it some brownie points for that. But yeah, I mean, the thing is, and, the, the, and John and I, whilst we were looking at 6,000-year-old stones, um, ironically, <laughs> were deep in conversation about all of this. Um, but, you know, machines don't have to be sentient to be dangerous. Mm. Um, and the question of whether a machine is sentient or not... Um, you know, it's not enough just for it to seem like it is, because that could just be mimicry, right? And and that's, of course, what a lot of people say about AI, even as it is today. Like, a lot of people could 
very easily interpret it as being um, sentient and understanding and you know many computer scientists would argue it's j they're just statistical machines right um, and you know humans are pretty good at seeing sentience where there isn't any like um, hmm. I can't remember the name of the, the researchers but there was a study done back in the day uh, insert citation here um, where <laughs> essentially you know they got people to look at different shapes moving around and people would would confer like storylines and motivation and feeling onto these shapes but like mm. literally it would be like a triangle moves towards a square um so like our brains are kind of wired to do that but anyway yeah like i think i think your point about like a kind of haunted house sort of story kind of fits much better because there was so little dealing with this COS machine and mm. it's you know it there there was like a basic motivation set up of self-preservation but the the treatment of that and its depiction in the episode was just like next to nothing basically yeah it it is essentially like you go to an old house and there's a spirit there and it starts you know causing things to go wrong and people to die yeah. but you don't necessarily have like that much of a, a connection to it. No. On the point of the way in which people die, I think also the episode feels like a missed opportunity in that you have the opening scene where Drake is in his office and then the tap in his bathroom is running, so he goes mm -hmm. over to try and stop it and it won't stop, it's just overflowing, and then he gets a phone call mm -hmm. and on the end it's Brad Wilczek's voice telling him the time. Then when he tries to leave, the door is locked and then ultimately he tries to use his key to unlock it and then he gets electrocuted by putting the key in there and is hurled against the window like i thought that that sequence was very cool uh it was like a really nicely worked out okay how could an ai being in control of everything in this office kill someone like what yeah. sequence of events would need to happen um and then in the middle of the episode i forgot to mention this in the synopsis but in the middle of the episode jerry dies jerry um Mulder's ex-partner dies because he follows Wilczek to the Eurisco office where Eurisco is going to try and shut down the uh, the COS but is unable to and then Jerry goes in the elevator after him and then COS takes over the elevator and drops it from the 29th or 30th floor um, killing him mm. and that is the only other time where and then you have Scully in the air vents where you know, she's kind of being pulled towards the big fans and she's shooting at it with her gun. Um, it, those last two don't really have the same sort of invention as the first one. It, mm. I kind of wanted to see more instances where, like, I'm not, well, I don't want it to be like jigsaw levels of complicated or whatever, <laughs> but something a little more than the elevator dropped from the 29th floor, like, would yeah. have been nice because the first episode does kind of set you up for the idea of, oh, there's going to be some complicated deaths happening in this episode, and, and it's really not the case. Kevin McAllister <laughs> situation, but but it's COS. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because... So this was written by Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza, right? And mm -hmm. the, the folk who did Conduit, and my criticism, or I think both of us kind of agreed that, like, there was too much going on in that episode... Mm. Um, and so things weren't dealt with properly. Whereas in this one, it felt like there wasn't enough going on, I guess. Yeah. Um, and maybe it was 
because they didn't have enough to go on or maybe because actually they wanted the the filming to be set up such that and the editing so that there was a lot of space for suspense but the story just didn't really support it um but yeah apparently some of the scenes um that they'd intended to do towards the end of the episode um they couldn't do for for budget reasons so for example Mm -hmm. i think scully was meant to have some sort of thing in a lift and that but they couldn't so instead that's where the air duct kind of scene came from um at least there's a bit more variety there it would have been would have been annoying if you'd had like an opening scene that was you know like quite complicated and then just two scenes where people near <laughs> die or nearly die because the <laughs> the elevator yeah especially especially because and and i'm sure this was part of the script edit in the process but like it would i was very relieved you know when um they do their sort of trojan car situation um and then they make it through the the barrier being dropped down on the car um but then they're like, let's take the stairs. And I'm like, good. That's a smart, <laughs> bloody decision. Um, it would have been a bit odd to then be like, let's get in a lift. Um, yeah. And, you know, get killed by the quote unquote politically correct lift. 29. Uh huh. Going up. Must be for the visually impaired. How do you like that? A politically correct elevator. Third floor. Um, is it odd for lifts to not announce floor numbers and things like that? Um, no, it definitely seems like something that's fairly... Maybe it was uncommon in 1993 maybe. to have it. But yeah, maybe. it definitely feels like it's it's fairly common nowadays for elevators to, to have a little voice that chimes in and lets you know what floor you're on. Yeah, I did. I did find it kind of amusing to think that the reason why the lift malfunctioned was because it uh, COS was annoyed that Mulder had referred to it as a politically <laughs> correct lift. I was like, "Geez, this is a petty building." <laughs> yeah, the the uh, the lift considers itself proudly unwoke. Yeah, uh, and, and it just gets <laughs> yeah. really annoyed at the uh, at the supposition. It's it's funny because I do recall, uh, is it a Chewing the Fat episode where it's like a voice act? So Chewing the Fat is a, a very Scottish um, kind of s- sketch show yeah. um, for those who don't know. Uh, and I, and I yeah, I think it was an episode of that where it was like a voice activated lift and but it couldn't understand their Scottish <laughs> accents. Um yeah but it's true hey you know what that that is a true depiction of um ai and generative models because you know they just perpetuate our biases and if you don't train them with diverse examples of stuff then they end up having a limited kind of quote-unquote view of the world so you know Mm. i i had that i had that once i had to test a game that use the Kinect, which was the motion-sensitive part of the Xbox 360 that they introduced to try and compete with the Wii, and it had voice commands, and it would never recommend... It would never recognise my accent. So really? when we were testing, it, it would always mishear what I was saying because I think it had been trained on the American oh, right, accents yes. of everyone else who was working there. So I was always found that to be 
um, very amusing and was very glad that that was the only time I've ever had to do any testing involving Kinect or motion sensitive because it just seems a real nightmare to get any of that stuff working. Yeah, well, thankfully, uh, it seems a lot better because I know like Google Assistant and other voice um, Mm. things like that used to really struggle with my accent. And, you know, I've just got weird Scottish English accent thing going on. Um, but I had a conversation with my mate Chatty Pete, as we like to call him in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we can ask him uh, what it is we spoke about. So if you just bear with me for one second, maybe I can get this to work. Can you summarize very briefly the conversation that we had this morning? Certainly. We discussed the philosophical concept of the ghost in the machine and its relation to artificial intelligence and consciousness. We explored whether AI could achieve consciousness, considering various viewpoints, including the idea that consciousness might not be limited to biological entities. We also delved into current theories of consciousness, like integrated information theory and global workspace theory, and their recent experimental challenges. Finally, I provided information from recent research articles to give an updated view on these theories. If you have any more questions or topics to explore, feel free to ask. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a wonderful day. Uh, It is interesting and not surprising, I guess, that um, apparently Howard Gordon and Alex Ganza um, were not very computer literate at the time of writing the episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, apparently they, they spent a good couple of weeks doing research about this, but perhaps even with two weeks worth of research um maybe it wasn't enough to really get a strong handle on anything to write in great depth yeah i think in terms of like the technical language there was nothing in it that leapt out to me as being like wildly wrong like when they're talking about adaptive networks and things like that yeah well i was like oh yeah that's that's pretty on point for discussion of AI in 1991, yeah. uh, sorry, 1993. And yeah, it definitely felt as if they, at the very least, you know, they, they did a good, they took a good stab at making sure that the technical words were mm. were correct and that they had some sense of it. But yeah. as with a lot in this episode, I think the problem is they don't really go a huge amount deeper on yes on the, the philosophical or ethical ideas of AI. The closest they get is the scene where Mulder goes to see um, Will Check in, in jail and then they, they talk about Robert Oppenheim. Yes. <laughs> Very contemporary uh, feeling at this point. After the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Robert Oppenheimer spent the rest of his life regretting he'd ever glimpsed an atom. Oppenheimer may have regretted his actions, but he never denied responsibility for them. He loved the work, Mr. Mulder. His mistake was in sharing it with an immoral government. I won't make the same mistake. Yeah, well, and you know, I was trying to read um, uh, American Prometheus, the the Oppenheimer uh, biography, and I admittedly gave up. I don't even know if I made it halfway through just because it's really long. Um, and for me, not not to my taste in the way it's written and things like that. Um, 
but the bit that I gave up on was the bit about how there was like uranium mining interests that kind of got in the way of uh, the proper kind of regulation and things that Robert Oppenheimer had in mind. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> Humanity cannot be trusted with such powerful things. So like, you know, at least, at least, at least there was that kind of um, short back and forth about, you know, the power of technology and the power of these kind of tools if put into the wrong hands. Yeah, and I think that they also get to, like, the central thesis, really, of Oppenheimer, the the movie, um, which apparently was really misunderstood by Nate Silver on Twitter, which was very funny to see, um, which is the idea that, you know, you have this great, powerful technology that is created by someone who loves physics and loves yeah. the process of, like, figuring these things out and then makes the mistake of handing that to people who don't care about that stuff. They care about the, the power that they then get from it. And that then speaks to his, you know, there's also intimations from the conversation that Mulder has with Deep Throat, where he basically says, like, yeah, like, the army are interested in this sort of stuff, and that maybe Wilczek is, like, an impediment to that, and they actually mm. wouldn't mind that much if he's out of the way. Yeah. Because they want the stuff he's created and he does not want to sell to defense contractors. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I liked how that all was kind of like woven in as well, but yeah, yeah I think um, the, one of the problems with this episode is it does feel as if there are lots of little things going on that you could imagine if they were more fully developed would make for like a more full episode, but yeah, they don't really go that far. The other element where I think this is apparent is uh, Mulder's relationship with Jerry, yeah. where like he's introduced, we think, oh, like this is someone who worked with Mulder when he was in violent crimes. They've had some sort of falling out. He then also like steals Mulder's notes to kind mm-hmm. of like build a profile of the potential killer and kind of takes credit for it. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and then he just dies halfway through the episode. And it really feels as if they wasted an opportunity because it would have been interesting to you know bring that character back in future episodes to kind of get a little more sense of like what was Mordor like before he kind of ended up with the X Files. Yeah. Um, and also, it it kind of feels like they do that to give him a motivation to be like angry at the tail end of the episode, yeah. which d- didn't Again, feel particularly natural. Yeah, it, it didn't, and like. I was interested to talk to you about this as well to see what your take was because it, it I it, it felt I felt a little bit cheated by that whole relationship because cl- mm. like clearly they had some sort of past that Mulder you know would forgive him easily for you know taking his notes and all of that kind of stuff whilst at the same time like being so warm and positive to him you know mm. you'll know what it's like Mulder what what's like you heard about atlanta mm-hmm. they got me on six months probation i gotta file daily reports like some cherry new agent that was bad luck that could have happened to anybody not to you don't run yourself down jerry you're a good agent we did some good work together but on, let's face it i was tagging along that's not how it was how would you know Mulder? you were too busy dazzling him up there on the high wire so clearly quite friendly 
but then you know even though this guy has a bit of a chip on his shoulder but then it but yeah but so there's something there but they just don't kind of give you anything further to to kind of explain like why Mulder is so warm and generous with this smarmy annoying Mm -hmm. guy (laughs) who steals his work um (laughs) what what was your kind of take on that yeah it, it definitely felt like obviously it's it's kind of laid out that jerry is in a bit of a bind like yeah. six months earlier he had been he had mislaid some evidence which delayed a case and led to a judge being kind of maimed and so he's more or less on probation until he can sort things out so he needs a win so i think that explains why Mulder would be so forgiving of him like transgressing in the way that he does because he's like in a real bad way and he seems to be on thin ice and Mulder wants to help him but so yeah do, but do Sorry. you think it's because like Mulder as Mulder's character has generally been presented as a very empathetic kind of person as opposed to they have a deep relationship or would, do you think Mulder would behave that way with any agent who's having a bad time I think it is a bit of both I think he they, he and Jerry do seem given what's presented in the episode to have been on fairly good terms but then their career you know he talks about how jerry wants an office on the fifth floor and and Mulder's happy with a basement office um so obviously their their paths went on divergent yeah uh, directions and then they just aren't close anymore i guess Mm. is is the way the situation is so i think it's a mixture of you know he is quite empathetic and and can see that he's having a bad time and, and wants to help out his friend but also there was probably a fairly warm friendly relationship between the two of them when they were working together but also jerry also seems to have a chip on his shoulder like say he has a chip on his shoulder he probably has a bit of an inferiority complex to Mulder. definitely um so yeah so it's 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 actually from what little we see it does feel like a fairly rich dynamic and something that you think oh like if this guy came back it would be something that they could explore in more episodes and instead exactly but instead they just kill him uh cheated we're cheated um yeah i hate to say it but i also feel like for half the episode david decolfini's performance is pretty lackluster like the dudes mm. run a marathon or something and he's just got no <laughs> he's got no more energy to give um yeah did you did you see that because like there were a few good moments and like maybe more subtle responses to the way you, you know, that whole Jerry Mulder interaction, you know, there were a couple of flashes of like, oh, this is this is good. But mm. for the rest of the episode, I just was like, whoa, this is a really like, I wouldn't say wooden, but certainly low energy performance compared to how I feel like he has been in other episodes. Yeah, and I think also there's not a huge amount of humor in this episode. There weren't no. a lot of there weren't too many lines that really leapt off it. The whole thing just felt a little bit I don't know, like a like a first pass for everyone involved. Like the the script didn't wasn't as developed as it could have been. The performances the performers I think were probably doing their best, but you know, it's kind of a hard thing to deal with where you have an episode where the yeah, the the threat is not like visible and there's not really anything that you can interact with you know 
the, the like you say the stuff with Jerry has a bit more of a spark to it but even that doesn't feel like it's as developed as it could have been yeah. um, it, it just feels like everything in this episode is a little underheated um, or a little yes. undercooked and yes could have used a little more time in the oven yeah for sure or or it was it was too long in the other oven and not warm enough because i i do mm. feel like my major like i've got i've got notes of many little things but like the major thing that made it just feel really dull overall i think was probably the pacing and like too much space for apparent suspension but where where there wasn't really any um mm. Like, it was just slow. And I feel like, like in 2001 Space Odyssey, right, there, there's an aesthetic and it makes sense. And and it's kind of, you know, artistic and whatever else. Like, you can probably speak to that far more eloquently and articulate than I can. But, like, it just, it feels like there's, like, an artistic intent and aesthetic to it. Whereas this was, like we're going to we're going to try and recapture this and just such a miss. Mm. Yeah, I think the in terms of aesthetics in this episode it did I did think it was interesting that one of the main things it takes from 2001 is using the POV of the AI. Yeah. In the, through in the, the CCTV cam. Yeah, through the monitors and through the CCTV cameras around the mm-hmm. building. I thought that was very effectively done as building or attempting to build a sense of paranoia, a sense yeah. of always being watched and a sense of them being in like a panopticon. But it's not done enough, I don't think, to kind of really make you on edge. Like, I think the the thing that's really good about 2001 and using that, that aesthetic is that at a certain point you start to wonder am i seeing this because this is the perspective of the camera or is this Mm. this perspective of how Mm -hmm. like is what's going on being observed by stanley kubrick or is it being observed by the ai that's trying to kill everyone and i you don't really get that sense in here i think in part because so much of the episode takes place outside of the office so it's limited how much danger you can really feel like the only time the threat leaves is when the AI hacks into Scully's computer at home and reads her notes, which at at the very least is kind of a fun example of being like, oh, yeah, obviously this thing can reach beyond the office, but it's very limited in what it can do. So anytime the action is taking place somewhere other than the Eurisco office building, like there's not a lot of tension. So if like the episode took place primarily within there maybe if this episode was later in the in the seasons in the series run you know maybe they would have done something a little more daring like the entire episode takes place through the cctv cameras of the of the building which or maybe just something more claustrophobic of it Mm. all taking place over a shorter period of time but like stuck in the building kind of thing even that even if it wasn't just 100% 100% through the perspective of the kind of the monitors, the CCTV. I feel like that would have been better. Yeah, it really does feel like it's trying to build suspense, but then it's constantly relieving it because 
by the very nature of the, the way the story is written, the action has to keep leaving the place where the danger is. Yeah. So yeah. you do get a jolt of it when Jerry runs in after Wilczek and, and he obviously dies, but it's not really as tense an episode as, as it could have been like if yeah. the location was limited. Yeah. Um, you speaking of uh, Cos, COS, stealing Scully's notes by, by getting into her computer. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there was the, the nostalgic hit of the dial-up noise. Yeah. <laughs> but equally, there was a bit that, that both John and I were just like, hang on a minute. So, like, COS is in her computer taking her notes and Scully picks up the phone to call the office. Now, unless Mm -hmm. she has two phone lines in her home, which (laughs) she might do, like, that just wouldn't happen. Like, it's a well-known fact for those of us who who lived through the dial-up era of internet that you couldn't use the phone while someone was using the internet. So... I, that that's my like one pickup of like that's not realistic, um, <laughs> but I did I did also enjoy the sort of cassette boy treatment of like figuring out of the voice that called Drake in the beginning. They pieced it together off a bunch of cassette. Te- I mean, it's the, the technological. Um, clash there of like there being an AI that can synthesize synthesize someone else's voice. <laughs> And they're putting, they're piecing together Brad Wilczek's voice off of a bunch of lectures on a cassette tape. Mm. I just found kind of like funny, ridiculous. Now this is the recording the central operating system made of the phone call Drake received just before he died. At the tone, Eastern Standard Time will be 7.35 p.m. And this we spliced together from a series of lectures Brad Wilczek gave at the Smithsonian last year. At the tone, Easter Standard Time will be 7.35 p.m. Now we'll stack them. At the tone, Easter Standard Time will be 7.35 p.m. You're saying this is the same person? I'm saying that both voices are Brad Wilczek's. But, but also ridiculous to think like, oh, we've matched the voice pattern to Brad Wilczek because we've randomly put together these bits of lectures. Like, of course you can make it match a pattern if you go looking for it. I realize mm. voice patterns are a thing because, you know, banks use them as um, security checks and things, but for, for telephone um, banking. But yeah, that, I mean, at least that was funny. I had a good laugh at that. Yeah, and it was it was quite again in Italy, you know, to go back to the idea of this being an older story about computers and AI yeah. kind of touching on contemporary concerns. That is essentially a deep fake when the <laughs> the uh phone the AI is able to reconstruct his voice to make that phone call and then incriminate him later when they do do that. Um yeah. but also you know, that is kind of strange to think was that part of the plan? Was it just the machine deciding to fuck with him in the final moments by using his partner's voice to um, call him? Or did he really think, oh, eventually the the FBI are going to piece this together and they're going to examine it, <laughs> examine mm. the voice patterns? Yeah, was Playing it? Was he thinking mouse. that many? Yeah, he's thinking that many moves ahead on the chessboard, which yeah, uh, yeah could be the case. Obviously, they referenced computer programs beating chess grandmasters. Ah. In, um, yeah, that uh, was interesting, actually, because... Um, 
that kind of delineates it from like this reality in a sense because mm. um and i i did double check this but yeah it deep blue didn't beat um so the machine Kasparov? deep blue didn't beat chess game until 1996 so that's ah. a good couple of years after this happened um, yeah so uh but yeah <laughs> yeah they, they, they I, I guess they have to do that slight difference because they need to be like oh yeah this guy invented that technology that did that thing that hasn't actually happened yet <laughs> but it is yeah. obviously a an, e- an easy thing for people to grasp onto the idea of like oh this guy is like really smart because he invented something that could beat someone at chess which still remains like one of those things that people use to indicate high IQ or whatever oh yeah but go is much more difficult but computers have beaten go as well um mm. so there you go uh also like voice synthesis these days like these generative models like deep fakes not just voices but faces too are just insane have you ever Mm. tried out one of those things to like clone your voice uh no i haven't uh i i find it scary (laughs) it is it is bloody scary and deep fakes like this year with all these elections going up like deep fakes now like i've i've seen some and not realized that they were in fact deep fakes so they've they've gone they've got ridiculously high quality but like i have out of curiosity tried one i forget what it was called it was a while back i was trying to find it again um a thing to clone your voice and they're obviously ones who will like they can train it on your voice and it will sound exactly like you but i think the one that i was using was a lesser powered one and it was funny because obviously you you read out um a bunch of stuff and then it must just calibrate it based on you know tone and pitch and like have ready-made um profiles for accents and things like that because when it then played back my supposedly cloned voice it was my voice it had the same quality and tone and everything but it had an american accent because ah, yeah. <laughs> I guess it went this is the closest thing we we have to whatever that is um, so that was a little odd hearing myself, me as an American um, <laughs> but yeah yeah we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll the, the, you know, yeah, there are, there are future episodes that deal with um, AI in the X-Files and um, later on with the whole technology and politics things clashing that comes up much later so i'm sure we can look forward to discussing that Mm, yeah Uh, the only other thing i had on this episode which i thought was fun was its depiction of sort of the 90s tech industry and it talking about you mentioned it earlier the divide between scruffy and neat Mm. um, people in the tech industry You can divide the computer science industry into two types of people, neat and scruffy. I take a Benjamin Drake fit into the first category. Neat people like things neat. They wear nicely pressed suits and work on surface phenomena, things they can understand, market shares and third quarter profits. And you had a different vision for the company? I started Eurisco out of my parents' garage. I was 22 years old. I just spent a year following around the Grateful Dead. I thought it it obviously is drawing on people like steve jobs yeah and um uh wozniak yeah uh, from microsoft where you do have people who are kind of like 
a little hippie-ish granolery follow the Grateful Dead around, as he says yeah. in this episode, who are kind of like quite heady thinkers who are thinking about the possibility of technology and then you have like the money men and I think it was quite interesting that this is being this was made in 1993 because it does feel as if the 90s is the crucial decade for where the money men kind of become more yeah. important obviously you still have like jobs comes back to apple and obviously revitalizes the company and everything like that but uh, you do get a lot of people who are just, they're just executives. They're not necessarily mm-hmm. people with like a grand vision for how technology can make people's lives better or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I liked that. I thought it was kind of like a nice little snapshot of this point of tension where technologies, te- tech companies had had such huge growth in importance throughout the 70s and 80s and are now reaching the point where, you know, the founders are all in their like 40s starting to think about either being shoved out by like the boards or like start leaving because they find the corporate corporatization of everything so suffocating yeah um so i i found i i liked that element of it as well that was like i like to say it's a nice snapshot why do you think our stock's in the toilet because you're cutting research and development in half you've forgotten what the adventure is all about like it or not, the industry's changing. We need to make some hard choices. You save your soundbite for the press. Let's not relive the stockholders meeting again. Don't you get it? You're killing me. You're killing my company. Yeah. I was always a little bit surprised actually learning about the, the kind of earlier days of computer and internet um, scientists and, and engineers and things to learn that actually quite a lot of them did have these like really big kind of idealistic values and ideas about like what the internet could be and how it would be used and everything like Mm. that um but interestingly uh john (laughs) looked up these terms scruffies and neats and like they are actual terms um but like more about different they more describe different approaches to the science and the ai and the computer science itself Mm. as opposed to necessarily that kind of like money men versus idealistic hippie tech person um but also interestingly it specifically according to wikipedia who knows um but it did say like there were terms used a lot in like the 70s and up to like the mid 80s and not really so much beyond that Mm -hmm. (laughs) so it's just like oh maybe the writers had a little bit of outdated advice or research or whatever but regardless of how the terms are as technical terms for different um approaches or school of thought to do with computer sciences like what you described like it fits that like very well and and it has that very well set up um between the 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 two characters there i i have like two final notes so what one is just on the soundtrack um obviously noticing that there was like a kind of glitchy electronic sound Mm. over the usual kind of stringy soundtrack thing that was going on um and then the other is a question and ed you live in america perhaps you can answer this but why do americans have telephones in their bathrooms um i assume it's more for executives who like always need to be in contact with people but oh god i don't know it's are there no boundaries? God, can someone not go for shit without having I mean, to 
talk work. I mean, the, ev- I mean, everyone has phones in their bathrooms now anyway, anyway, because everyone's got a mobile. But like, I can assume that that is why they would have the phone in the bathroom at the beginning there. Unless it's just an invention yeah. on their part because they like they want to have the the phone call and the the voice on it. But yeah, it is a weird no, thing. I've I've definitely seen this in like movies and things like this where where like there's a bathroom and there's like a toy that there's a telephone next to the toilet and I'm just like Why? Or like someone will be in the bath or something and they'll be like on the phone oh, yeah. on the phone to their friend or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's like pla- planes and bathrooms. I feel like that's it's it's fine to just <laughs> not be reachable by phone. That's that's completely fine. Yeah. There's a uh, fact, gun firing fact, that this is the first episode apparently that Scully fires her weapon. Mm. Yeah, when she she shoots at the thing to deactivate the fans when she's trapped up in the yeah. the air vents. John McClaning it up. Yes, John McClaning it up, exactly. Um, and did you spot uh, that Scully was reading a book? So at the point where she gets woken up, her computer is being hacked into and whatever else. She's reading a book um, called The Obstacle Course. No, I didn't notice that. Well, and I was like, what's this? This must be some relevant Easter egg to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the story, because it's apparently a coming-of-age story type thing. Um but it was written by the director. Uh, and in fact, oh. it didn't come out until 94. So I was like, oh, is this an early example of product placement? <laughs> <laughs> That's quite um, cool. Yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to read it, but there you go. No, yeah, I was I was trying to read up on the director, Gerald Freeman, who um, was like a veteran TV director who had directed a ton of stuff, but then like the year after this retired or seemed to retire because he yeah. hasn't directed anything since the mid 90s so maybe yeah. maybe his career as an author like took off enough for him to stop directing let's hope so let's hope so yeah the last thing he directed was a uh the story of oj simpson but oh. he uh was directed uh under a pseudonym under the alan smithy pseudonym so presumably did not have a great time <laughs> making it and oh. maybe that put him off the whole thing yeah maybe um well in in the kind of happier note i guess um the humble floppy disk is once again mm. <laughs> saving the day in this episode yes all 12 megabits or whatever it is that it would have been able to upload of a virus that could kill it yeah there's some good early 90s tech in this episode there's the, all the chunky laptops um, yes i enjoyed seeing I did. That gave me memories of um I had this like VTech computer thing, you know? It was like a laptop with the world's tiniest screen, you know, like the mm. kind of green and black yeah. LCD screen type thing and like you couldn't do a huge amount on it, but you could learn how to like code in basic. It had like tutorials and think random games and stuff like that but i mean that was a massive step up from the previous toy laptop i had and that was my lunchbox that i cut out a bunch of letters (laughs) (laughs) to make a keyboard so i could pretend it was a laptop i told you i i I like i probably watched way too much star trek and i was like Mm -hmm. just excited by the idea of technology a lot as a kid still am as an adult yeah, definitely for me growing up, like laptops seemed like the height of luxury with, you know, having 
always had like a PC desktop in the house for my parents' work and things mm-hmm. like that, and for me to sit and play Lemmings on. Um, yes <laughs> the idea that you could have something that you could fold up and carry around with you and work on uh, always seemed very very chic so i was very excited when i went to university and got to take a laptop with me yeah yeah well and now i have a i have a mobile phone that i can fold mm. up and do all that it's probably more powerful than my uh my laptop that i'm on at the moment actually oh yeah um, it's, it's, yeah the phone i the phone I use every day is absolutely like more powerful than like any of the PCs that my family owned through like the early two thousands, probably. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, yeah. Anyway, any other thoughts on this episode? Uh, I think uh, we we kind of covered it a little bit, but um, I guess to go into a bit more detail, I do think like the. Um, sequences where Jerry dies and where Scully is in the air vents are extremely goofy and I think <laughs> kind of points to what you were talking about about how the limitations of the budget kind of came back to bite them because mm-hmm. they really like when the elevator drops and Jerry is in it he is really just kind of like lying on the floor and kind of writhing around to make it seem like gravity's having an effect on him Yeah, and they cut before or, like the impact happens but like he's still just lying on the floor so yeah. it's not immediately apparent that he's died until like scully goes to see Mulder and says i heard about jerry and it's kind of like oh I, I guess he did die then that scene wasn't mm-hmm. quite as dramatic as they they wanted to make it no. um yeah so I, I just thought that's another thing like it wouldn't spoil the episode if the rest of it was like strong it would just be a kind of like oh dear they didn't have enough money would this it but because the rest of the episode is, is kind of scattershot and weak um, it really just is kind of like the cherry on top of things not working where yeah. two of the, the big action sequences just kind of look silly. Yeah. Uh, so what would you rate this episode? I'm going to give this a solid three because for all the reasons we've discussed, mm. but the, the, the one the worst offending bit of it is just how dull and boring it was. Mm. So I'm going to give it a solid three. I think that's fair. Yeah, I'll probably give it a four. I think it's, there's enough of the kind of like cultural snapshot stuff going on it that I think it's at least interesting. But um, for reasons that have like almost nothing to do with the story, which I do think doesn't work as well as you would hope and there are too many like things that don't go anywhere mm-hmm. or where you look at anything oh they kind of like like killing jerry makes you think oh they, they really kind of like spoiled something that they could have built on there yeah that yeah it, it doesn't really quite make it up to being like average it's definitely below average yeah never mind they can all be amazing no, but fortunately, next week's episode, it's uh, a certified banger. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. And I just, I want to say like, oh, it's so exciting. But every <laughs> time I say that, I end up being disappointed in some way. But no, genuinely, uh, certified banger, as you say. Yeah, next week we'll be talking about the episode Ice, which, um, yeah, it's very cool. It's a very cool episode. So 
we'll be talking about that next week thank you all for listening uh, if you've enjoyed this episode then please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts races reviewers recommend us to your friends it's the best way, best way to help us grow our audience you can also find us on twitter where we are at the far room pod and you can email us on at the far room pod at gmail.com uh, if you have any of your thoughts on this episode thoughts on ai chunky laptops any of that sort of stuff uh, our, our music is by Lionel Cassio and we'll be back next time uh, so until then it's goodbye from me and bye from me